Okay. Um, last week we talked about divorce and remarriage. When there was a ton more people here, maybe that's what drove everyone away. I don't want to discuss this anymore. So, is there something? Is there is there uh, is there something that anyone wanted to discuss to follow up on divorce and remarriage stuff uh, from last time? Okay, so I talked about, I briefed, because you guys, you all wanted to, so I talked about divorce and remarriage. I said there were at least five circumstances where people, people who are married can be divorced. It's not, it's not what God wants, but the reality is we're, sometimes we're not very nice people, and sometimes we ruin things and ruin relationships, and, and things, things happen. Um, you have, if there's sexual immorality, that's a broader category than just you know the, the the act of adultery jesus talks about that in matthew 19 you have um if a uh if an unbelieving spouse if, if you're if there's desertion the spouse walks away from the relationship and has no interest in rekindling it but they, they've abandoned it and they've they, they've walked away um and the other three are from exodus 21 where moses or god through moses talks about um one spouse refusing to provide for the other there's food there's clothing and there's marital rights. Marital rights is kind of a broad category. And I think the best way to understand what that means is this, this overarching matrix of love and affection, including romantic relationships, but not just that. It's, it's the, the love and care and the, the, the covenant love that husband and wife are supposed to have for one another. So, um, you know, if you're refusing to provide your spouse with what, with what they need to make things work, you're, you, you know, if you're one of those, if you're one of those people who gives your spouse $50 and says, that's all you get for the month to get us groceries or whatever, and you just go gamble your money away or lead a secret life, or you're, you're functionally doing things to literally deprive your spouse of, of the things that he or she needs, um, things like that, um, food, clothing, and the marital rights, no love, no affection, callousness, um, um, uh, cruelty, uh, all the, th the opposite of all the things that are supposed to characterize the marriage relationship. And that's not like, these aren't get out of jail free cards. They're supposed to be, um, you, you need to like evaluate them in the, the totality of the circumstances with wisdom and discernment and getting some, hopefully getting some other people involved so we can all, you all can think through uh, this together. I don't think you can just go through a checklist and say, yep, everything's met, I'm out of here. That's not God's heart, but um, you need wisdom to try and look at the whole picture and figure out uh, what, what the best thing is. So there are guardrails besides just adultery for, for a believing couple to, to divorce. <clears throat> and I talked about that briefly for about 25, 30 minutes last time. So we've answered all questions. So there's, so there's nothing even more to talk about, right? Nothing. Aries doesn't have any questions. No. Okay, fine. Do you guys have any questions? Okay. All right, fine. Well, all right. We're almost done with the hard part of Deuteronomy. Then we get to the blessings and the cursings. Then we're done with the book. And then we can do Isaiah. So let's see here. We get to Deuteronomy 24, starting in verse 6. And we have a, a whole bunch of other um, seemingly miscellaneous laws that we can try and distill some basic principles for today. Uh, so I'll pray and be spiritual. So we should pray first and then we'll, and then we'll go ahead and take a look. So let's do that. 
Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, help us to understand your word. Help it to be real to our lives. And we pray for the folks who aren't here. And we pray for our worship service to come. And help us to see what you want us to see from the book of Deuteronomy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, what does this mean? Um, verse 6. Millstones, or even just the upper millstone, must not be pawned, because that would be pawning someone, someone's livelihood. Is that this will test everything you know about the Bible. So what's the point of this weird commandment? No one has, does anyone have a millstone in his backyard? So like, what's he talking about? You can't take the tools of the man who's trying to pay back the loan, otherwise he wouldn't be able to repay it. Yes, do you know, I mean, like, this is an agricultural society. So the way you get food is you grind your grain and get food. So if you, it's like taking the most basic thing a person has. It's like taking, it's like taking someone's car, right? You know, if you don't have a car, you're not gonna be able to work. So it's like if someone's already in desperate straits and then you repo their car, well, do you really think they're gonna be able to repay you now that they can't get to work or they have to borrow their nephew's bike or something? I mean, come on, it's, it's cruel, it's, it's not right. Um, you're, you're taking the most basic tool that the person has and, and ripping it away, and it's not it's not good, it's not right, it's it's cheap uh, because that would be pawning someone's someone's livelihood. So if you could, you know, say a car or something else, but something that's clearly just critical to to being able to to make a living and to work. So this is not for you know the Israelites and the Philistines or the, you know, the or the Amorites or anyone else. This is for inside the family. Why would you do this to someone who's a brother and sister in the Lord? Out of spite, I don't know. Why would you do this? That's not a very godly thing to do. It's not, but people aren't sometimes really ungodly, right? People are nasty people sometimes. Not us, but other people. You know, they're nasty people and. Uh, that was supposed to be a joke, but I mean, it's uh, people do cruel things to each other, and this is—he's putting a you know a, a guardrail there to, to let you know that that's that's not the way brothers and sisters in the faith need to treat one another. What are you doing standing there holding the door? The doors, extra door stops are on the way. The other one was pulverized and destroyed, so it was supposed to be delivered on Thursday, but now it says it's out for delivery. So how about that? Okay. So uh, we're on Deuteronomy 20, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 24, verse 6. Yeah, that's, that's probably why nothing made sense about what I was saying. But if you want to know, yeah, Tim? Well, you have prophets that prophesy against this type of thing as the rich got richer. They kind of put their thumb down on the floor and made them slaves and servants and stole everything that they had to make themselves richer. Yeah. So if you've read, have you guys read Amos recently, or have you read Amos before? So if you if you've read Amos, you'll see all of these denunciations, like Tim just mentioned, uh, where Amos is railing against um, rich people who crush and oppress poor people. And so we want to, because we live in you know America in 2022, we want to like plug things in and say, okay, Jeff Bezos is the evil guy who's rich, and people like us who are normal people. Um, are are the poor people, and so rich people are evil. That's not what he's saying. He's talking. The context is totally different. So he's saying, here in the Old Testament, you have people in the believing community who are who are financially oppressing other people in the believing community. It's like it's like Tim 
Tim giving me a loan and then charging me 25% interest. Why would he do that? Because he wants to make money. He doesn't care about me or helping me. He just wants, he find he sees someone that he can gouge and, and con. So he does that. And that's ridiculous, right? But it happens. People do that kind of thing. You know, people, I, I investigated a guy for selling an annuity to an elderly customer three years ago. And he kept telling me, I'm a Christian. I'm like, I don't care what you are. That doesn't mean anything to me. Um, you, you, sold, you sold this elderly person annuity and you lied to them and they got a bad deal out of it. They lost a lot of money. I don't care that you're a Christian at all. It doesn't do anything for me. But he thought it, it meant like I would never do that. Well, you did. So I don't know what, well, I know what you were thinking. You were thinking about a commission. But the point we do, we're not, we're still sinful people. So even if he was a Christian, he did wrong. And he got fined. I think he lost his license. But the point, we, we do bad things. And God wants us to know brotherly love isn't just this weird, this vague concept. Oh, I just love Christians. Like, well, okay, real life means you don't do stuff like this. You, um, there's other passages in Exodus uh, and in Deuteronomy. If you're, if you're, if you're, if your enemy's uh, animal is wandering around, you don't just steal it and keep it for yourself. You bring it back to the guy or the gal. It doesn't matter if you don't like the person. They're in the, they're in God's family. So you, there's a brotherly love means something. It's not just a bumper sticker, basically. Okay, verse, verse seven. I'm telling you, Kim and Alan forgot about daylight savings time. Yeah, I really think they definitely. did. If someone is caught kidnapping their fellow Israelites, intending to enslave the Israelite or sell them, that kidnapper must die. And this is that phrase again that we've seen before, remove such evil from your community or your translation might have purged this evil from your midst. Do we apply this to the human trafficking? I think we could in a derivative way, but he's talking about believers doing it to one another. What story in the Bible do we know of where believers um, sold another believer into slavery? Joseph. Joseph. Yeah, Joseph. Now, isn't that weird? Isn't that, I mean, isn't that proof that God's people need to have laws in place because we are going to do awful things to one another, no matter what, no matter, no matter what we know is right? Yeah, sin has entered the world, so no matter who you are, who you say you claim to be, but we also know people by their roots, right? And they're actually, yeah. you know, it's like, hey, I'm a Christian. It's like, well, let's review uh, what we do know about what you've done. So, so there's two there's two things here. There's there's the letter of the law and then the spirit. So think about this. The 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 direct application is within the family of God. Don't kidnap one another and sell one another into slavery. Okay, that's easy to follow because I don't think anyone here is planning to do that in our context here. So it's easy to say, okay, good advice. Anyway, moving on. When is this lesson going to be over? But the spirit to take a step back. The spirit of the law is human life is precious. And if you rip people away from their homes, their families, to sell them as slaves, what do you think God thinks about that kind of behavior? But 200 years ago, if you would have asked American Christians whether slavery is immoral, you'd get different answers. Really different answers, especially depending on um, depending on where in the country you live, but yet we have something that's so pathetically clear. I mean, it's, it, it's not, there's no mystery here. 
but yet you have Christians publishing long defenses about how Abraham owned slaves so we can own slaves. Abraham took care of his slaves, and as long as we take care of our slaves, God's happy with us. There's even people writing stuff, uh, Christians in the South writing stuff about how um, God has God's in charge of everything, and the slave trade is here. So that means God must want the slave trade to happen. That means that we can have slaves, and our job is to give them the gospel. So it's really a gospel thing, right? You know, so this kind of pathetic stupidity going on where your circumstances in this world can mess you up so badly that you can actually argue things like that, you know, with, with a straight face. When you have something here that's so clear, God doesn't like slave trafficking. You know, the Southern Baptist Convention, the Southern Baptist Convention came about the Baptists in America split in the early 1850s. And the question that there was a lot of stuff, this slavery thing was always there, but the thing that the, the, the thing that really broke the camel's back was an argument, a disagreement over whether a missionary commissioned by the Baptist, uh, the Baptist could be a, could be a slave owner. And the Southern Baptists thought that he could. The Baptists in the North did not agree. So they split and the Southern Baptist Convention was born out of the idea that you can be a missionary telling people about how Christ liberates the captives and yet back home, you own slaves. And there's no contradiction there. Like serious, otherwise godly men and women saw no contradiction. What about those who... I'm not saying this is right, but uh, those who, like, didn't Abraham Lincoln, you know, they owned slaves, but, you know, would do, but basically they were free men. Yeah, you're my slave, but, you know, carry on amongst yourselves, you take care of yourselves. I'm just, this is a place of refuge for you so that other mean, cruel, vindictive slave traders will harm uh, you and your loved ones. Well, sla the difference is slavery, yes. slavery back, slavery in the Old Testament wasn't like the North Atlantic slave no, trade. No, I mean, we saw that in Deuteronomy. It's more of a, it's more, it's closer to, ideally, it's closer to indentured servitude, right? Um, where you're, you, you sign on for a period of time, like a military contract, and you, it, you work for me until you pay off what you owe me type thing. And then, and then every right. and then every seven years. I can't quite. There's too many. But anyway, I believe it's every seven years. I know it is for the debt. But anyway, uh, there's a set period of time where you can you can then your your contract is done and you can go free or you can stay if you want it. So the sl the slavery is totally different. But my point is, if you want to know what what do I care about Deuteronomy 24/7? Who cares? This isn't me. Um, this is just an example that. We can probably apply a lot of the scripture to our own personal lives and our life as a church. And as Christians, if we're willing to stop and think about what blind spots we have that we automatically dismiss. Because in the South in the 19th century, there was a whole lot of dismissal going on because they're so close to their situation, they can't step back and realize they're blinded by their own circumstances. And in every age, I think that's also true. There's things we really need to ask God to help us, you know. Now, rip through our cultural assumptions and really help us to see what your word is telling us. Slave trading is bad. And I think, Marshall, what you said is true. The, the trafficking, sex trafficking and all right. stuff. Are, I don't think many Christians would argue that that's good, but that's an application of, of this idea, you know, the, this, this, the spirit of this idea to, to today.
I just maybe it's wrong for me to want them to be put to death, but it did seem <laughs> that well, law would apply. Uh, down in verse I 18, he talks about them remembering that they were slaves once themselves. Yes. And so, yeah. And he, he keeps saying that over and over, all over the Old Testament, when God talks about you need to treat, treat foreigners who join who joined the community, you need to treat them right. He always says, you were slaves yourself. So you're, you're, you're not inherently better. I rescued you and took pity on you out of an awful situation. Maybe you should take pity on outsiders who come to you. Um, any more questions about kidnapping? It is interesting that Joseph's brothers did that to him. Uh, it's really, really interesting. Even in Jesus' own human lineage, there's all sorts of craziness going on. Okay, um, verses 8 and 9 are about skin diseases. And if you really want to know about skin diseases, you can read Leviticus uh, 11, 12, 13, somewhere around in the early teens that you can learn all about it. All he's saying here is do what the Levitical priests tell you for to get rid of some sort of contagious skin diseases. If we, want, if we want to delve into skin diseases, I guess we can, or we can just move on. Leviticus, I think it's Leviticus that talks about all the things you have to deal with. Another big thing that the Hebrews are really big on is proper food storage. You know, anyway. Only they had tough, if only they had Tupperware, Marshall. Yes. <laughs> all right, so verses 10, 10 to 13. This one is much more, we're getting closer to more direct application here. When you make any type of loan for your neighbor, don't enter their house to receive the collateral. Must wait outside. The person to whom you're lending will bring the collateral to you out there. Moreover, if the person is poor, you're not allowed to sleep in their pond coat. Instead, be certain to give the pond coat back by sunset so they can sleep in their own coat. They will bless you and you'll be considered righteous before the Lord your God. What's the point of this thing? The pond coat. If you, if you, it, it's a coat that's been pawned. Oh, so, pawned. Yeah, know. yeah. Totally. That's okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So what's, why is this here? So don't think about just what it says. Why is it here? That, that's the, that's the, that's the most profitable way to think about these laws from Deuteronomy that don't seem to have a lot of direct application to us. You know, the, your your mortgage lender is not coming to your house for collateral. So, I mean, what? Why is this here? Deuteronomy twenty four ten to thirteen. What's God's point? Why can't you go inside to get the collateral from the guy who needs the loan? Think about how you would feel. Just yeah. Why shouldn't he? Why can't the guy go inside? Why does he have to wait at the curb? Why does he have to wait on the porch? Would it be disrespect just coming in and taking the very last thing that he? It's humiliating. It's humiliating. Like it's isn't it humiliating? Yeah. It's like God is God is saying that even people in desperate situations they deserve dignity. That that's what that's what God's point seems to be. He doesn't say that, but why else would the command be there? So that's what I mean when you read this. Don't just stay on the surface. Got it. Next time I get a car loan, I will not let the I will not let the bank come into my house when I give them collateral. Well, that has nothing to do with me, so whatever. Now think about why is this here? 
even people, even in the most desperate circumstances, deserve respect and dignity. So you don't go into their house while they hunt around for the piece of collateral that you're demanding they give you uh, for, for this loan. You stay outside. You need to give people respect no matter how, how, no matter what circumstances they're in, they deserve respect. And you have to give them respect because they're men and women, they're people, they just, they inherently deserve respect, not to be humiliated in front of their families. And then there's the terms in verses 12 and 13, if the person is really poor and they're literally giving you their clothing, you can find a different way to, insert a different thing in today's context. You're not going to be, you're not going to be pawning your, your fleece jacket, but uh, give it back to them at night. So th there, there's a, there's a, even, even in a desperate situation like this, there is a, a love aspect that's driving how this is accomplished. It doesn't mean that they actually follow this. Like Amos makes pretty clear, he's not very happy. God is really unhappy with the way that society has been being destroyed by all this greed and taking advantage of other people. But God's heart is that all of his people deserve dignity, even in bad situations. They will bless you and you will be considered righteous before the Lord your God. So even... Um, it's really interesting. You'll be considered righteous before the Lord your God to the extent that you show, this is really brotherly love. These are all about brotherly love. To the extent that you show love and compassion to your brothers and sisters in the faith, you'll be considered righteous by God. All right, verses 14 and verses 14 and 15. Don't take advantage of poor or needy workers, whether they're fellow Israelites or immigrants who live in your land or your cities. Pay them their salary the same day before the sun sets because they are poor and their very life depends on that pay so they don't cry out against you to the Lord. That would make you guilty. Any thoughts about this? Don't be their oppressors. Yeah. Find says aliens. Yeah, I'm going to be talking about aliens in Sunday school, actually. Different kind of alien. Yeah. But yeah, alien, aliens, foreigners, immigrants, people who are not from here, but who are here. <clears throat> and again, God cares. God doesn't care who joins his family, whether you're a foreigner or an alien, someone from not, not an Israelite, or you are an Israelite. If you're part of God's family, dignity, respect, love, it's not a bumper sticker, it's real. So do not withhold payment. Say, I'll pay you tomorrow. Or there's not enough money. Um, you know, I'll make it up to you next time. That sort of thing. Um, people deserve people deserve their pay. Oh, and they need it to Yes. Yeah. It's kind of uh, it's kind of important. All right. Verses sixteen. Verse sixteen. It's a long verse. Parents shouldn't be executed because of what their children have done. Neither should children be executed because of what their parents have done. Each person should be executed for their own guilty sins. What is the point of this? What's its point? What's it saying? We're all responsible for our own act. Yes, each person is responsible for his own act. Now, your parents might do something that impacts you and changes the course of your life. 
Um, so it's not as though you're being punished for your parents' sins. You know, people do things and it steers us a certain way, but we make our own decisions. We're responsible for our own sins and each one of us will stand before God individually. So in, uh, in Revelation 20, which is this vision of this great courtroom scene at the end of time, when Jesus judges, he's seated on this great white throne. So everyone calls it the great white, white throne judgment. When Jesus judges all of, the, all of the people who have not accepted him throughout all history, they're judge, each judged according to his, own, his or her own works. Everyone is always judged um, on the basis of what they have done themselves. Well, I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure it's because the passage to said Exodus, Exodus that talks about certain sins that aren't forgivable until like the 10th generation or something. Yeah, like it says Ill illegitimate children can't enter the temple of God to the 10th generation. Well, there's a difference between eternal judgment and temporary temporary uh, judgment. I think you're, you might be talking about Exodus 18. Is it Exodus or Ezekiel? Yeah, I, I think it's Ezekiel. Yeah. I think you're talking, well, there's a passage that talks about this exact thing. Each person is responsible for his own. I think it's in Ezekiel yeah, 18. Yeah. Okay, so you're talking about something from Exodus, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I think... I don't know. I'm not sure where it is. We did talk about it a few weeks ago, and we solved everything. So let's have to listen to that. <laughs> we solved it all. All your all your questions are are answered. Uh, but I think what he's he's talking, but he's certainly talking about um, uh, the death penalty. Um, everyone's responsible to God. In the end, everyone's responsible to God for his or her own actions, not the actions of someone else. Okay, um, now we get to 17 to 22. So you can't read, social justice has gotten, it's become like this taboo subject because of all the craziness that's gone on in the, uh, the last few years in, the, in this country. But the craziness aside, you can't read the Old Testament without seeing that God has a real heart for people who are on the margins and are suffering. He cares about widows, orphans, and immigrants or aliens um, because they are suffering and they don't have the advantages other people have. And because they're, they're not of the dominant, the dominant group in society, they're apt to be oppressed, marginalized, pushed away, not taken care of very well. Um, and that's, that same thing still continues today. We have el elderly, uh, the, the elderly people who are never visited, die in nursing homes and no one comes to their funerals. You, you have people who are, who can be taken advantage of and who are. That's why there's whole agencies to dedicated to um, Department of Children, Family and Youth in Washington state. There's whole units uh, devoted to investigating elder abuse. They, you know, there, there, are, there, are, there are legions of people who work for the state and the county whose job is to make sure that widows and orphans or vulnerable people uh, in society, elderly people, um, people, children who have no parents or who can't be with their parents are taken care of because you know what? We're going to, people in this world are going to abuse them. God really cares for oppressed people in society. So verses 17 to 22, don't obstruct 
the legal rights of an immigrant or orphan. And again, yours might say alien or something, but it's yeah, yeah, to the stranger. Yes, someone who's not from here, but yet who's here. Don't take a widow's coat as pledge for a loan. That should be common sense. Don't take advantage of someone who doesn't have a husband providing income in this in this society. Um, and you can port it over in an appropriate way here, but don't take advantage of people who don't have much. What kind of a person are you? And there's people out there. We investigate people all the time who go around selling Medicare products to confuse senior citizens. Like they do the rounds in nursing homes to go to talk to senior, to try and get senior citizens to sign up for Medicare or their specific Medicare Advantage plan. And Medicare is so absurdly confusing. If anyone's on Medicare, then you understand what I mean. No one understands it. Like no one understands it. So everyone's confused. And so these people are ripe to be taken advantage of. We have a whole unit at the insurance commissioner's office devoted just to giving advice to seniors who want to know what on earth they're supposed to do and to navigate this maze of bureaucracy with, with Medicare. A whole unit that just does that. They just sit on the phone and talk to seniors who call and have questions. So this kind of thing still happens. You say, well, who would ever do that? Anyone would, like anyone would, especially if you don't know the person. Because who's a person, who's this strange person you just see, you don't know this person, who cares? And you can rationalize it away any way you want, but people do it. And I bet you the person who <clears throat> sells a Medicare Advantage product to a senior citizen lies to her and gets her to switch to a different product, makes it so all her medications now have to be redone. She can't see her doctor anymore. So all of this stuff, I bet you they go home and they have people who love them. They have people who love them and they love other people. Might. It might be the best mom ever, Meanwhile, but yet she can go out and do that. <laughs> yeah. And it's not because they're evil and we're not, it's that we are sinful people. We're gonna do some awful things to one another. So we need to go past a Looney Tunes version of, well, of course, no Christian would ever do this, case closed. Well, people do, and they rationalize it away some way, and then they go home to their kids, their husbands, their wives, and, they have dinner together, maybe even pray together and love one another. But yet, what did you do with your day? You just did that. So this is this is not some abstract thing that still happens. Don't take a widow's code as pledge for a loan. Remember how you, like Tim said, were a slave in Egypt, but how the Lord your God saved you from that. That's why I'm commanding you to do this thing. Have pity and mercy and love for people who are ripe to be oppressed because God had pity and mercy and love on us when we were slaves in Egypt. And if you're part of God's family, you can include yourself in there in the same way that you weren't around during the Revolutionary War, but we still defeated the British. We did it. America, raw, raw. The point is, is that you weren't a slave in Egypt, but if you're a Christian, it means God saved you from slavery to Satan and is leading you through the wilderness to the promised land. You're metaphorically, you're going through the same journey that the Israelites did. The writer of Hebrews sort of makes that same point. We're in the wilderness too. And we don't, we don't wanna get lost in the wilderness like they did back then. <clears throat> so we need to hold fast to Jesus. Whenever you're reaping the harvest, we're in verse 19, whenever you're reaping the harvest of your field and you leave some grain in the field, don't go back and get it. Let it go to the immigrants, the orphans, and the widows 
so that the Lord your God blesses you in all that you do. Similarly, when you beat the olives off your olive trees, don't go back over them twice. Let the leftovers go to the immigrants, the orphans, and the widows. Again, when you pick the grapes of your vineyard, don't pick them over twice. Let the leftovers go to the immigrants, the orphans, and the widows. Remember how you were a slave in Egypt. That's why I'm commanding you to do this thing. Even the dogs get the scraps. Yeah, that's what the that's what the the Syrophoenician woman said to said to Jesus. It kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. So again, this is brotherly love. This is brotherly love in, in action. We saw this last week. Oh, this is mentioned tons of times. Um, Ruth took advantage of this, this system. So brotherly love means something. It's not just a cute saying. Um, it needs to mean something. And all of the, except for this skin disease portion in verses eight, nine, which is kind of out there. Uh, the rest of these are all brotherly love. That's what this is, brotherly love in real life. Well, the skin disease thing could also be brotherly love. It's never a good idea to spread leprosy, right? That's not brotherly love. See, there it is. It, it fits. It fits. So we made it fit. Um, but it has to express itself in concrete ways. If you think about the fruits of the spirit, if you think about your Christian life, if, if our Christian lives don't, if our Christianity doesn't express itself in a real concrete way, then it's not real. Jesus said in Luke 6, a tree is known by its fruit. Um, you, can, you can tell me that it's an orange tree all you want, but if it doesn't produce oranges, it's not an orange tree. It's a different kind of tree. And Christian, there will be Christian fruit. Maybe the fruit's not the best this year, but you can tell that it's an orange, right? It's not a nice orange. You don't want to eat it, but it's, it's an orange. And it could be better next year, right? Christian fruit. It'll be Christian, maybe not the best, but you'll see Christian fruit. And if it's not there, then there's nothing. Faith without works is dead. And here, brotherly love. Jesus is to the, 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 the core commandment that sums up your, our obligations to God. Love God and love your neighbor, meaning your first and foremost, your neighbor within your family, not the guy next door to you, him too, but the, the folks in the Christian family. Love God love one another, a vertical relationship and a relationship among God's family here. And that's God right now. So if there's no fruit, there's a problem. And the reason why the prophets like Amos, if you haven't read Amos, just read, especially Amos 5, okay? You just read it and you'll see all of this frustration God has about you don't care about each other. You don't love each other. You oppress each other. You build these fancy houses while you grind the poor into the dirt. He's saying that because all of the stuff Moses told them in these sermons in Deuteronomy, they just thrown them in the trash. And God is upset at that. So as we think about our lives, we need to think about whether there's fruit or not, whether there's a desire for fruit. Are we honoring him with our lips? Or, yeah, our are far from yeah that's... that's those are the things we need to be thinking about. Sorry to interrupt. No, 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 that, that's okay. Now we are at, okay, now we're at 25. Um, we have 10, I guess we can still do this. We have 10 minutes left. Um, are there other things, any questions so far about Deuteronomy 24? Is there anything anyone wants to talk about, chat about? Anything weird, anyone's questions about?
anything at all, no matter what it is. Unless it's too weird, and then I'll, I'll pretend that I don't know the answer or something. I've just been feeling bummed because the whole Ukrainian war, it's hard to sit here and be a Christian and then not do anything about it. Yeah. You thinking of going over to enlist? That's exactly what I was about to say. You could always enlist. Yeah, I could always enlist. I feel like it, even though it, it looks like our weak president won't do anything. Well, yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of considerations going on there. Deuteronomy 24? Yeah. Any other thoughts? Okay. Um, all right. Starting in chapter 25. Um, I don't know if we need to cover, I'm going to skip 25, 1 to 3, unless someone really wants to talk about this corporal punishment. Does anyone really want to talk about a corporal punishment? Because I don't want to. I don't want to deny anyone. That could have been someone. The whole reason why they think. Yeah, I don't want to deny anyone the spiritual edification they're seeking. So we could we could totally talk about this. You shall not muzzle an ox while it's good. Yeah. So Deuteronomy twenty five four. Paul just uses this. He doesn't apply it literally, but Paul takes this he says that's why pastors need to be deserve to be paid for their work if they're able and he quotes this as a as a sort of not a direct application but secondary like don't just stop like the ox is doing all the work for you so if you can like let it bend down some of the grain yeah yeah. yeah it's only nice right i mean it's only polite all right, now I think we'll finish with this uh, verses five to 10. This is really strange and not a lot of people understand what it is about. Does anyone know in Ruth, and does anyone know, I think off the top of my head, it's in Ruth four, but in the book of Ruth, um, Boaz wants to marry Ruth. Well, Ruth makes it clear she wants to marry him. He makes it clear he wants to marry her. So everything's great. But before they can go to the, before they can go to the, to the county and get their marriage license, there is a closer relative to her dead husband who has uh, who who can who may want to exercise the option uh, to marry her first. And if you've never read if you've read Ruth, you've probably thought, well, what on earth is up with that? It's kind of weird. Um, what about love? You know, what if she doesn't love him? And so you have all. So there's some weird transaction that takes place. They go. Boaz goes to um, the marketplace and he confronts the 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 relative who's who's um who's a closer relative to her to her dead husband than he is he's a more distant relative and he asks the closer relative um are you interested in pursuing a relationship with ruth and the guy says no and so they go through this weird complicated thing involving a sandal and then and then it's over and he doesn't want her he's not interested in pursuing any kind of relationship and so now boaz is free to marry ruth and then Ruth and Boaz's liaison produces children, and Jesus is from that lineage. So Jesus is descended from a Moabite woman. He's not a pure, is you know, he's not a pure, pure Israelite in that respect. Um, so strange. Does anyone know why on earth that is, or why? Because that's what this is about in Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. This describes that, and it's really odd, and it's not directly applicable now. So if you've ever wondered why on earth that happened or what that was about, 
then today is the day when all your dreams will come true because we will talk all about it. Well, something happened back with Tamar. She was given to each of Judah's sons who died. Yes. And that's why he didn't want to give her to his last son. Yes, that's true. You know, Genesis 38 is also another chapter where that's talked about. So this is what's happening here is something that doesn't really apply anymore. So if this will probably just help you understand what on earth is happening in Ruth when you read Ruth next time in your Bible reading plan. So if the, the issue is, is that land generally is passed down through the male line. So if there's no male heir in the line, then who's going to get the land? And if you marry, if 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 you're the last male heir in your family, and then you direct male heir, and then you die, your family, your family lineage is going to lose the land if your wife goes and marries someone, some total some total stranger, right? Now the land's going to go to his family, instead of instead of Fred's family, it's going to go to Biff's family when Biff dies. Now Biff's family will inherit the land. It's going to start, it branches off and goes a different way because Biff is dead or Fred is dead, whichever one. Fred is dead, right? And there ain't no more Freds. So how do we stop the land from getting, land from getting shifted all over the place to a million different people as the generations go on? They developed a system where the closest male relative has an option to pursue a relationship with the widow in order to keep the land as close to the same family lineage as possible. So we have here in verses five to 10. So hopefully that'll make a little more sense. If brothers live together and one of them dies without having a son, the dead man's wife must not go outside the family and marry a stranger. Instead, her brother-in-law should go to her and take her as his wife. Will then consummate the marriage according to the brother-in-law's duty. The brother-in-law will name the oldest male son that she bears after his dead brother so that his brother's legacy will not be forgotten in Israel. So the, the family lineage, they tried, they wanted to try to keep it as close to the family as possible. We're not talking about incest here. We're talking about the, the, the male relatives so that the, the land doesn't, dis doesn't just disappear uh, forever. It's still at least close to being within the family. So instead of having the family farm sold off to a stranger who's going who's gonna to scrap it and build a subdivision on it, and everything your grandfather and your great-grandfather worked for is now all destroyed, and now there's a Walmart there, you can actually be kept in the family, okay? So we're trying to understand that. So this is the prescription on how to do that. Verse 7, if the brother does not want to marry his sister-in-law, she can go to the elders at the city gate, informing them, my brother-in-law refuses to continue his brother's legacy in Israel. He's not willing to perform the brother-in-law's duty with me. The city elders will summon him and talk to him about this. If he doesn't budge, insisting, I don't want to marry her, then the sister-in-law, it's a scandalous thing to refuse to try and keep the, the land within your family. And assuming the second brother is not married. Um, if he says, I don't want to marry her, then the sister-in-law will approach him while the elders watch. She'll pull the sandal off his foot and spit in his face. 
then she will exclaim, that's what's done to any man who won't build up his own brother's family. So that's interesting. Subsequently, that man's family will be known throughout Israel as the house of the removed sandal. So how's that for a, for a label? The point, the point is, is that it's the family's duty to try and keep the land within the family as close as possible. And if it's not possible, then you have to have to keep going to the closest nearest relative. Maybe the brother-in-law is married. Well, then clearly he's not going to try and take her. Uh, there's no relationship that's going to happen. So who's the next nearest relative? Who's the next nearest relative? Who's the next nearest relative to try and keep the land in the family? Now, the deep, I've given before the example, you have laws, and then you have other regulations that explain how to make the laws happen in real life. We don't have those. All we have are the laws. So we have, in my job, we have the revised code of Washington, which are just the laws. Then we have the Washington Administrative Code, which explains, okay, now we have these laws. This is These are the rules on how to make those laws happen. Um, so they put more flesh on this abstract idea. So you wanna know, so what if she doesn't like the guy? What if he's just, a, what if he's ugly, right? What if he's the ugliest guy who ever disgraced this earth? What if he has horrible breath? What if he's a nasty person? What if he's just awful, right? We don't have an explanation of how this has worked out. We just don't have it. They knew then because they lived there, but we don't have it. So I can't, you know, I can't give you, is she a prisoner? She has no choice, but to just go with this loser brother-in-law. I'm not sure. I think that she, I think she had to have more say than just the blunt fact here in real life. Because Ruth certainly had it. Ruth is the one who pursued the relationship in Ruth wasn't Boaz. He was certainly willing, but she's the one who, who pursued him. Um, she wasn't just this, oh, I am a poor widow. I need a man to take care of me. She pursued him. And, and, and then he said, okay, wow, this is, I actually like this idea. So then, so I think it's a little more complicated than just the blunt fact here, but the idea is that the land needs to stay in the family. And that's the prescription for doing that. And in Numbers 27, there is precedent where there are no male heirs whatsoever, then the, the wives inherit the land and they can pass it down that way. Because there just weren't any, there were no male heirs, period. Like there were none for those, for those particular um, ladies. So they inherited it themselves. So God is not a just misogynistic evil person. Um, didn't they have to marry within the tribe, though? Maybe. I don't recall at the top of my head. You're probably right. What happens if someone just, um, or if if all the people in a family line at that moment are just killed, so there's no one to give the land to, and there's no one to currently own the land? What you'd probably do then is you'd consult the Washington Administrative Code for the answer, because I have literally no idea, they nor will I ever have to know. It says, Tim's usually right about stuff like this. Let's see. Um, let's see. Moses brought, I'm in Numbers 27. Moses brought their case to the Lord. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It doesn't say they have to, that the, that the ladies who inherit the land have to stay within, uh, within a, marry within a particular tribe. They can marry whoever they want. It doesn't say that, but it doesn't restrict it. So there it is. Very interesting. So, that is Deuteronomy 24 and part, almost all of 25. Just one other thing about that is, 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees tried to trap Jesus with this. Who yes. they were going to be married to in heaven. They did. Yeah, you're right. They, they did. They used this absurd, like, um, they, they gave this example and then applied it like seven times removed that we're trying to ask him this technical arcane, you know, uh, question. Um, it's like asking someone just absurd technical question now that has nothing to do with anything. Like, um, like, uh, uh, you know, what's the proper, what's the proper translation of, 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 uh, of Kinao from Philippians 2.5? Like, get a life, man, really. Um, it's nothing to do with it. Yeah. So anyway, ah, there it is. We are done. We're two minutes over, and God will smite us if we do not stop. Philippians doesn't have a chapter. Two five, chapter two, verse five, where it says Jesus emptied himself. What does that mean? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so let's move on. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, help us to take these principles from Deuteronomy and not dismiss them as ancient things, but help us to see your heart behind them, what they teach us about brotherly love, about knowing you and loving you, and I pray your Holy Spirit will apply these things to our lives as we go about our daily business. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Yeah.